I'm going to talk about a little bit intro about a story that I felt uh, to encourage us in uh, as we start the day, just to sort of form here about this theme that we have, which I absolutely love this theme. When Katie told me about it, I was like, this is such a great theme, the story I'm going to tell. So how many know, if you don't tell your story, other people will be happy to do it for you. And they're happy to do it through the filter of how they see your life. So there's an important element, and one of the prayers that I have for today, uh, and I have no doubt that Jen feels the same way, is that we want, we want you to find your voice. And if anything, we want you to find the story of your life and what it is that God has placed on your life and that you go forward here freer. I mean, what a wonderful thing that we could actually leave different today. We can leave lighter and we can leave with a sense of purpose and intention of what God has called us into. So we all have a story. I have a story. You have a story. Uh, and we have a story because we've been born. And we're still here because we haven't died. And so as long as we're here, um, uh, we have purpose. And as long as God has us here, there's intention to our life. It's the testimony of our life. The testimony of our life is the power of our life. And it actually reveals uh, the purpose of our life. So stories don't just happen. Like life isn't just happening uh, to us. They evolve, they change, they develop, and they deepen. And it's because it's the exploration into someone's life. The story of your life is the testimony of your life, and it reveals the purpose of your life. It's powerful. There's nothing more powerful than story, actually. Because people don't relate uh, to uh, a lot of things, but they'll relate to story. And they'll relate to, you know, if you've been through things and you've survived it, they want to know that. That's why the purpose of our life is so very important and that God allows a process in our life to form us and mature us so that he can deepen us so that we can express and share the story of our life in ways that we can connect with people so that they know that there's a hope outside of the life that they're living and at the end of the day, do you realize so many of you in this room, so many people, not, there's not one of us in this room that isn't connected to somebody who has no hope. Like, just think about that for a minute. And it's the story of our life and the power of our life. And it, 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 it's, the, it's the reason why God allows us to go through the process of maturing us. Because when he deepens us, it only empowers the story of what God uh, is doing in us and what God does through us. So the first thing is that God's story is that it's to you. So I think we need to begin here because it's very important that we realize that we have been invited into God's story. This didn't all just begin with us. It hasn't just been in the generation that we were born. Um, this goes all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham where he said, you know, go outside, look at all the stars. This is going to be all of your descendants. Now, that, that promise that came to Abraham, the father of the faith, um, you know, where they needed a baby in order to have descendants. How many know that kind of helps? But when the promise came, you know, and when God said, go and, and look outside, and that's going to be all of your descendants. Remember his wife, Sarah, who was 90 years old. She's around 90 years old. And she's a barren woman. And so the promise of the story that we all join, this is the story that we join as we're born and we join God's family. We engage in this story and it all begins with a barren woman. And not just a barren woman. When God said, hey, you know, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Um, she laughed at God. 
And then when God called her out on it, she lied about it. I love the scriptures. I love, I just love like reading how everybody messed up so much because not only does it make me feel better about my life, but it shows how God, it, the story of our life and the purpose of our life is not affected in ways where God doesn't use us just because we're weak and just because we fail in different areas. So it's our story that joins God's story. So you need to know that today because when you say what, my, what I've lived through or my story doesn't matter, that doesn't make any sense because your story is joining the most important story that's ever told. So the power of that, and you need to know that because so many of you, so many of you have come from places and situations where it's like your life doesn't matter. And what you need to know is it matters right from the beginning because the great creator, who still creates, by the way, formed you, designed you, made you. That's Psalm 139. He planned you to be invited into his story. And I love this when Sarah actually holds the baby. It talks about this in, in, Je in Genesis where it says this, it says that she, um, in joy and in awe, she exclaims, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. You know why I love that? Because when God told her she was going to be pregnant, she lies and laughs about it. So we have the cynical laugh and then we have the laughter of the promise of God. But the time in between was difficult. And our stories ha have a beginning, they have a middle, they have an end. You know, there's lots of different chapters in our story. And a lot of times God will speak something to us and we don't see the promise of it. And what I hope today is that we move from our unbelief and a cynical nature, so to speak, into the promises and the power of what God calls us into. And I, I just love how God himself models to us. I don't have time to go in this. But, you know, God models to us himself the importance of overcoming everything that comes against you. And Jesus himself, one of the things that will try to silence you and your story the most is shame. And I love that what Jesus did for us on the cross for obviously countless reasons. But one of the things that Jesus dealt with is shame itself. And everything that Jesus encountered and everything that Jesus felt, we ourselves can identify with him because he first encountered it. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. And I love, because you have to understand the context here, the cross at the time was a symbol of, of cynicism. It was a symbol. It was like a vile symbol. It also meant uh, like a, a meaning of separation. Like the cross was you know, a symbol that nobody would want to identify with. And here Jesus comes in opposite of what, you know, the people thought he should come in as. And he uses the cross to show, no, how I'm going to do things is much different. And it's almost a picture where everything is broken gets made right. So as we start out this day, it's Jesus himself who encountered shame. He was human. He was man. He encountered every feeling, every, you know, uh, those, those feelings of opposition, those feelings of shame, those feelings of regret, those feelings of, I wish I never did that, or I wish that wasn't part of our story. Jesus encountered all of those feelings. So we have to begin this day of understanding that the enemy will do whatever he can to shut you down. Because the story of your life is the power and the testimony of what people around you will relate to. And the enemy will try to do whatever he can uh, to shut 
what, what has the most potential to change you and what has the most potential to change the people around you. So we need to know that God understands. He understands our feelings. He understands what we go through. And I love it that God's promises and God's words are much bigger than my stuff. Much bigger than where I felt. It's much bigger than human predicaments. And it's often from the dark places that God brings about the most beauty. I love what Leonard Cohen said. He said, in the broken places is where the light shines through. You know, those places within us of our story that we are ashamed of or that we don't want to share or that we keep hidden or whatever it is, do you realize that those are probably the parts of your story that people will identify with the most? People don't identify with our strengths. People don't identify with how great we are. In fact, if, you, if you're really great, we don't really like you. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, when somebody talks about how great they are, do you really, like, walk away from them going, yeah, they're really great? No. It's like people don't identify with our greatness. They identify with our humanity. It's our humanity. So the truth is those who have thought to accomplish little are usually those who conquer much. So the parts of your story that you hide, what I hope is that you will see that those are probably the parts that God wants to use to not only change you and bring you into freedom, but also to bring the people around you into freedom. All right? All right? You with me? All right, so short, briefly, I say that. I did pastor a church, so, you know, pastors tend to stretch that truth a little bit. But I'm going to share the story of Abigail. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, first. Samuel 25, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Um, I forgive you. Just look like you're holding your phone. <laughs> if you've ever heard me preach before, I'm a big believer. Like, follow your Bible because it actually forms you and it teaches you. And it, it, count, it not just challenges you, but it encourages you actually as you read it. Um, so that's okay if you don't have it. Don't feel condemned. We don't want to start the conference with condemnation, right? So the story of Abigail. So briefly, what's happening here? And I'm just going to kind of give you an overview because we only have so much time. So this is an, an incredible story about a woman's life that didn't just change her life, but it changed her entire household. So what was happening at the time is Abigail was married to a man named uh, Nabal. And Nabal, was an, he was an evil man. And he was a foolish man. In fact, his name translated meant fool. So that pretty much sums up this guy's life. And Abigail was a good, godly woman. And this is a story, this is part of the story of her life that we're going to engage in in 1 Samuel 25, where um, David had his workers in Nabal's fields. And while the workers were there, um, David's men took care of his workers. They didn't attack the women, which is really common in the day. The women were protected. The, the livestock was protected. None, there was no damage done to the fields or anything. And so David, you know, has done this man a really good favor. And David goes to this man, and we find in first uh, uh, chapter here, 25, where David goes to Nabal and says, hey, listen, I want to send my men to you, and will you care for them? You know, I've cared for you. Will you care for my men? And this man is so arrogant. Um, this is his response where it's in 1 Samuel 25, and his response is, who's David? Why should I do that? Why should I care for him? Why should I take care of his men? So he's going to tick David off. He's going to make David mad. Now, this point in David's life, David is gone, obviously, from the field. He's a great warrior now. He's, he's you know, coming, uh, you know, into great power. 
And David is a powerful man at this point. And for Nabal to actually reject him, he is putting not only his life in danger, his entire family in danger. In fact, everything he owned in danger. So for him to be so flippant and for him to be like, who's David? I mean, and here David just sacrificed and cared for this man. That's a really big deal in that day. So here's Abigail. This is where Abigail's story begins to shine. But I'll tell you this. It's not just where we read about Abigail where her story shines. It's everything that's built, built up to this point. Because when God invites us into a purpose, he always does a preparation before that purpose. So there was stuff that was already in this woman where she was ready. So if God's got you in a season of preparation, you want to prepare yourself so that God can take you into the next season and you are ready for where God wants to take you. Preparation is really important to the Lord. So here we find in Abigail, in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 25, this is Abigail's response. She's like, I'm not going to waste any time. In fact, it says that in verse 18, Abigail lost no time. And what she did is she just started getting all of this stuff together. And what you would do in those days is that you would get gifts together. You would get food and you would get wine and you would get the best of everything. And you would go greet that person and you would be, you know, respectful and reverent of that person. And it says in verse 18 that Abigail lost no time. So part of your story, hear me on this, ladies, part of your story and knowing your story is knowing your life and knowing what's on your life, knowing what you carry. Abigail didn't, you know, waste time arguing. She's not talking herself out of, is this what God wants me to do? You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? Or I don't think I'm gifted enough to do this. Or what if I don't have the right oil? Or what if I don't have the right gifts? She's not doing any of that stuff. She's just getting on it. She's stepping into her purpose. Knowing uh, who you are is so very important. You have to know who you are, which is your identity, and you have to know why you are, which is your destiny. Who you are and why you are. And we're going to see where, where Abigail, she knew who she was. She was obviously Nabal's wife. She was fully aware of that. She was fully aware of the position she was in. But she also understood her position and how other people saw her. And how we know that is that it talks about back here in verse 14 where it was the servants that went to Abigail and said, Abigail, we need your help. Like Nabal's going to get us in trouble here. He's going to get us all killed like, David's been completely, you know, shunned. He's been completely disregarded and disrespected. And if you don't do something, we're all going to die. So this woman, Abigail, knew who she was, but also the servants knew who she was because she's the one they went to. They didn't go to him. They went to her. You have to know what's on your life. You have to know how people see you. You have to know what God has entrusted to you. If you read about the kingdom of God all through the gospels, it's all about stewardship and it's all about entrustment. And how we handle what God has put in our hands today determines what we get down the road. We always think we're ready for everything, but it, the reality is God has put stuff in our hands and we need to be faithful with the, that before God will take us to the next step. So there's an element here of knowing who you are, knowing that you're a new creation in Christ. Galatians talks about when you accept Christ, the new creation, that's what's emerging, that you're walking in the old. It's not about the, the, you're walking in the new. It's not about the old. It's not about what was. It's not about what you did wrong. It's not about where you come from. It's you in your new DNA of walking in the new, knowing who you are in Christ, and then knowing 
why you are. And that's why the enemy, and I'll tell you this, until we are with Jesus, the enemy will always come after our identity. You know why? Because the enemy will come at you at your weakest times, not just your times of strength. He'll come at you at your strengths and your weaknesses. And what the enemy will propose to you is, who do you think you are? Like, why should you get to do this? Why should you get to teach? Why should you get to preach? Why should you get to do a small group? Why would anybody listen to you? You've been a horrible parent. How could you lead other people with parents? The enemy will come at you, and I'll tell you this, he's not nice. He's not nice at all. And he'll use the very things that you have been through against you. So if you don't know who you are, you will stay stuck in a chapter in your story. You have to know who you are and you have to know why you are, right? New creation in Christ. Your identity is set. People do not get to determine who you are. Do you realize that? People do not have the power to dictate your story of your life. They think they do. And as women, we often think we are the Holy Spirit, let's be honest. (laughs) But no one has the power to dictate your life. Do you realize that the only person that has the power to ruin your life is you? The enemy only wins if we quit. Take your story back. Take your voice back. And where the enemy has told you what you say and what you do doesn't matter, that's, that's just rubbish. That's baloney. That's garbage. Do you say baloney here, actually? Well, you do now. You're welcome. You are, if I've imparted anything to you, there you go. You're going to go home and say, that's baloney. And everybody's going to go, what? Second thing that she does here, she has a wisdom to come up with a plan. I love this. Like, you know, story, again, story doesn't just happen to us. There's something about being intentional here. I do love this. Because she doesn't tell her husband. Her husband is obviously a bit of a, you know, he's not all there. I'm not for going against your husband. But I am all for wisdom. And how many of you know, you know, there's a time when you share things, right, with people. Knowing where to share your story. How to share your story. So we're going to find later that she actually does tell her husband. But she does it at the right time. There's a wisdom to that. So there is an intentional part that I think we don't talk about enough in the church, and that is that we need to be intentional with the lives that God has entrusted to us. In other words, don't just live in a a defensive posture waiting for everything to hit you. Be intentional about what God's called you into and go after that. Abigail was planned. She got this thing together. She planned. She had a wisdom to it. She walked it out in a wisdom where it was intentional. Be intentional with your life. I'll tell you this. If you plan and aim for nothing, you're bound to hit it. And when you live in a defensive posture, do you realize that you're living in survival mode? And the enemy loves it when we're in survival mode. Because then we're just waiting for the next hit. I've been in those seasons. I have been in those seasons where it is, it is just hard. It is painful. It is hard. It feels like you know, everything's coming at you and you're just trying to survive. And there are seasons like that when your head's just above water. But we're not meant to live there. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't set up camp and decorate. You know what I mean? There's a truth to that. Be intentional with the story that God's called you to. Third, Abigail humbled herself. Now, I love this. I don't have time to read all this, but I know how faithful each and every one of you are going to be in reading this entire story when you get home later. I know it. 
You're just going to be so faithful in it, right? I love what Abigail does. She humbles herself. So when she gets all this stuff together in verse 23, it says that Abigail went out to meet David. And when she goes out to meet David, verse 23, it says she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at her feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Look at the intentionality here. Look at the humility here. There's a humility. Humility. How, how many know like humility is missing in our culture? Like it's just a missing trait in the church as well. She is humble. She And here's the thing. It's because she has a vision that she wants to live. She has a vision for her life. You don't have a vision for your life. You end up in bondage. That's the truth. That's actually Proverbs 29, 11. Those without vision perish. It means those without vision cast off restraint, which means those without a revelation for their life usually end up in bondage. She had a vision for her life, so she humbled herself. How many know when you have a value for something that's bigger than you, you will sacrifice for it? Part of our stories, I think, miss so much because we aren't willing to sacrifice in the things that God calls us to sacrifice for. And the kingdom of God is all about living sacrificially. It's all about obeying God in the most inconvenient and uncomfortable of times. And it's about sowing into the things that God has called us to sow into. And we do that in humility. And humility is attractive. And how many know... The, old, the older I get, this is what I've learned, the very little that I've learned, is that I have a choice. I can either humble myself or I can be humbled. And I've lived with both. And I'm going to tell you, it's much easier just to go low yourself. Go low. Do you realize that much of the things I think we miss out in our life and in our story is because we're not willing to just humble ourselves and die to stuff? Like, we want to be right. We want to look perfect. We want to have everything together. And at the end of the day, this woman put herself on the dirt because that was the thing that was going to, you know, save not only her life, but also her entire household. Like, you have to ask yourself, what is the price that you're willing to sacrifice? What is the price that you're willing to pay in order to live in the story that God has called you to? You know, people ask me all the time, you know, how do you live in power? How do you see miracles? All of that stuff, which I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, there's a price tag to power. There's a price tag to obeying Jesus. If there wasn't a price tag, then everybody would do it. It's costly to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one that said it. He's the one that said this is going to cost you, your family, your friends. This is going to cost, people are going to hate you. <laughs> That's pretty honest. People are going to hate you for saying yes to Jesus. Do you realize that so many people get away from the story that God has invited them into because other people don't like the story that God's picked for them? Think about that for a minute. They don't like how your life is being formed, so they want to control your story. And so people will say no to obeying Jesus because they don't want to disappoint the people around them. And what I've found is popularity and following Jesus rarely goes hand in hand. Popularity is like a myth in the kingdom of God. It's an illusion. It's the death to self. It's the sacrificial living. And I love that Abigail, her story not only changed, but the story of her whole household. Obviously, it did not matter to her what she looked like. And let me say this to you about following Jesus. If you are really worried about what you look like, 
you will not accomplish much in the kingdom of God. That's true. If you worry about what others will think about you, it'll stunt your own growth. Because you'll be so focused on what other people are judging your story or what they think about you. This woman didn't care. She threw herself on the ground. She's like, for the sake of my life, for the sake of the people around you. And we do live in a world and in a culture that values how we look, what we drive, and who we know rather than who we are. And we are to be countercultural in that. It's not about being popular. It's not about everybody agreeing with you. I don't understand why we have all these stupid things in the church where everybody has to agree with us. We can't even agree in our household. How do we expect the whole church to agree with us? You know what I mean? We can't even agree with ourselves. We lie to ourselves more than anybody else. We, we can't even agree with our own bodies of what we're going to put on to wear for the day. Like, think about it. You know what I mean? And we get in all these controversies, and it's just a waste of time. But the value and the sacrifice, in fact, it reveals the value of what you love and who you love by what you're willing to sacrifice in order to obtain it. And I think God is always inviting us in, but I think humility is the doorway. And humility is the, is the gift, and it is a gift. It's a choice, and it's a gift of whether or not we're going to go low and do the things that God has called us to do. And I'm not talking about, you know, you have to look ugly for Jesus or, you know, do all these things for Jesus. I'm saying humility is a posture that, Lord, no matter where you take me, I'm just going to say yes. And if I look stupid, okay. Do you realize that most people think you look stupid anyways? Yeah. I mean, if I, we're going to be honest. And that actually people aren't even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. They're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about, you know how we know this? This is how we know this. Years ago, I was like, you know when you see a picture of like, a, 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 like if you take a group picture with everybody, who's the first person that you're looking for in that photograph? <laughs> you do not care what the people around you look like. People aren't looking at you. They're not judging your stories. We're so concerned what people think about our stories. And so we hide parts and we live in shame. When the reality is those are the areas of our life that God wants to use that will bring transformation to the people around us. Don't let the enemy choke out your story because you're afraid you're going to look stupid. That in itself is just not wise. And at the end of the day, we're never going to please everybody, right? We're never going to please everybody. I got to just read this story to you because I love this story about humility. There's a story of this guy, this, this old doctor who was on uh, the beach and he was watching the sea and this young girl uh, was drowning and they pulled her up on the shore and this older man ran down to the sea and he began to give this young girl CPR and this um, younger guy comes over and pushes the older guy away and says I got this I got this and you know and does CPR on the girl and she comes back and everybody's cheering everybody's saying how great this guy is and and then a couple hours later you know they're watching the girl they're waiting for the ambulance and the guy who had done CPR on the young girl passes out and when he passed out, he came to in the ambulance, and the older man was standing over him. And the older man had brought him back to life. And he realizes that the older man was actually a doctor. And he said to the older man, why didn't you tell me that you were a doctor? And he just smiled and said, it doesn't matter to me whether you call me a doctor or not. A precious life was in danger. I became a doctor not for fame, but to save lives. We had the same goal, and that goal was to save that little girl. Nothing can surpass the feeling that you have 
just saved another life. There's lots of things to be protected rather than our ego. I love that story. Like, you know, just the ego will keep us from so much that God has for us. Just die to yourself. It's not worth it. The fourth thing Abigail did is that she asked David if she could speak. I love this. She's like, may I speak? Which, you know, that in itself for a woman is quite a feat. But she's, she's, showing, she's showing reverence. She's like, I'm, I'm showing reverence. May I speak? May I, you know, tell you? And she humbles herself and speaks to David, bowing in the dirt, asking for forgiveness. In fact, she asked for forgiveness for something that she didn't even do. How many know that takes another level of humility to say, Lord, would you please forgive all the things that happened before? It doesn't matter whether or not I did them. What matters is I want this to be clean. What matters is I want this to be healthy. What matters is I want a good foundation. Who cares who did the wrong? At the end of the day, who cares who did the wrong? And our ego will stand in the way. And I think we miss out on a lot of promise and story because we're not willing to actually just say, Lord, would you just forgive us? Would you just forgive, for whatever it is, would you, all the way back, would you forgive us and give us a clean slate? I love that because she, she was willing to ask for forgiveness above and beyond herself. And I'll tell you, so many people get stuck in a chapter in the story in their life because they don't forgive. Now, let me just land here for a second. If you live as an unforgiving person, you will live as a bitter person. And bitterness will quench your story unlike anything else. And when you hold on to unforgiveness, and I'm not saying what's happened to you isn't, you know, horrific, because I don't know your story. But I do know this. I do know that the one thing that takes people out left and right is bitterness. And it's when we choose to live unforgiving, it kills us. It's slow. I've watched this do this to people through the years. Bitterness kills people from the inside out, and you can either spend time building a case or being quick to forgive, but you can't do both. And so many people get stuck in their story because they're stuck in a period of time of where they were wronged. And if you want to go forward, you have to be a person of forgiveness. At the end of the day, I'm here to tell you, life is not fair. Like, life is not fair, and people are people and life is not fair and things will happen to you and you will go through things and you will be like really lord i've been here where i'm like really lord like i've done the best i could and really i'm having to do this life is not fair and free will is a choice but what we have is we don't have a lot of control of what happens to us but we have every bit of control of how we handle what happens to us. I cannot stress to you enough, if you want your story to be powerful, be someone quick to forgive. Just let it go. It's not worth it. Fifth, I love this, because Abigail, if you read here towards the end of chapter 25, she begins to call out in David who he is. In fact, she starts prophesying to him. She starts telling him he's going to be king. I mean, this is pretty great. He's, you're going to be king. You're going to have all these, you know, this kingdom. Everybody's going to follow you. I mean, she starts, you can't prophesy with the clarity. Now, she's on the line for her life, by the way. You can't do that if you're not in a good place. You can't do that if you're full of bitterness. It's hard to prophesy clear if you're full of unforgiveness. I'm going to tell you that. And if everything you see is wrong, that's not, that's not prophetic. That's just you. You need a cleaning. I'm, I'm being serious. She prophesies to David, and this is what she says. I mean, this is David's response. Let's look quickly here at verse 32. 
David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you here today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. On David's way to meet this family and this household, he was planning to take all of them out. And because she chose to humble herself, because she had a plan, because she was intentional, because she chose to go low, David had mercy on her. And then I love this because when she went back home, she saw, like her husband Nabal, he was drunk. So she's not going to tell him what just happened with David because how many know, like that's pretty unwise. This is the wisdom of this woman. She waits until the next morning and she tells Nabal, her husband, of what happened. And it says here in the scriptures where his heart went hard and then 10 days later he dropped dead. Now, I don't know if she was rejoicing more or if, you know what I mean? But it does say that David rejoiced. And you know what else happened? <laughs> this, is, this story cracks me up because it is sort of typical male. No offense, male, because you're so brave to be in here. But, you know, she was a beautiful woman. So the first thing he does is he sends for her so that he can marry her. You know, he's no dummy. He sees this woman who's full of integrity, who's full of humility, and when he realizes, and David says, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I didn't have to avenge this, but that you yourself dealt with this. Thank you for that. He gives thanks to God. But then he also says, you know, invites Abigail to be his wife. I love that. I mean, what a great story of promise. So knowing when to share, knowing how to share, knowing the ways to share are all very important. And I pray that throughout the day that God will show you those different things about your life. And if there's things about your life that you just need to ask God to forgive you or you need to forgive other people, be quick to do it. Don't negotiate throughout the day. Come on. Don't negotiate. Just get rid of it because then you're walking in freedom. And how many know freedom is like a beautiful thing? There's nothing like having a clear conscience and freedom. Amen? Yeah. Amen. That was a lot in a short period of time. Almost like speed preaching. Why don't you stand? Let me just pray for you for a sec. And then uh, let me just pray over us real quick. Just put your hand over your heart, because I'm a big believer in this. We're just going to take God's word, just real quick. Put your hand over your heart, ladies. If you've never done this, let me just say to you, this is not going to hurt you, okay? We're just going to pray what God has spoken to us. Because what's going to happen is that Jen's going to get up here, and different people are going to get up here, and they're going to say things, and God's going to speak things to you. And one of the things that we do is we ask God to remind us of those things throughout the week and in the coming months. All right, so Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, how you've invited us in. Lord, that we've been invited into your story. I pray, Lord, that for each and every person's story here, Lord, that you would form them, that you would make them, that you would encourage them. I pray, Lord, that where those have been so hurt, and where their story has felt like it has stopped. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the power to forgive today. We thank you for your word, Lord. Challenge us throughout the day. We just want to say we love you, Lord. It's so good when you remind us of things that we need to be reminded of. So thank you for that, Lord. Listen. Forgiveness, the harder that forgiveness is, the more you need to do it. So I have this rule. This is, this is I, I live this. 
So I'm not just, I live this. So, but I have a rule that, I did, like, forgive, it's going to make me cry. This is how important this is to me. Is that I do not give myself an opportunity to build a case against who has wronged me. I'm quick to forgive. I may not feel it. In fact, a lot of times I pray, Lord, would you please open the ground and take them home as well? Like, they're, you know, it's a mix. Sometimes it's a mix, if I'm going to be honest. But I have a rule that I say, I, I say it and I worship it until I believe it. I say it and I worship it until I believe it. So I say I forgive until I believe it and I worship it until I believe it, until I feel free from it. And you know what? Sometimes that's a thousand times a day. But I'm going to tell you this. When it doesn't have a hold on your life anymore, it's worth it. So if there's anything you leave today, don't negotiate. Just start saying it and worship it until you believe it. Amen? All right. Okay.